You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, church, so a couple of things you need to know. We are one air conditioner unit down, so we have two ACs that run this building. Um, we have two ACs that run this, but not, not this building. We have six ACs that run this building. Um, we have two ACs that run just this worship center. One of them is down, so we have this pretend air conditioner unit here. Um, it's making noise so that you'll think it's blowing out air, but it's placebo effect kind of stuff. Um, but we're, we're trying, we're trying, it's like we're the little air conditioners that could, right? It's just, um, but we have, uh, as you know, and well, actually as the, the congregation does not, may not know like largely, but during the congregational meeting, we talked about having to call the church to a capital campaign because we need to, there's some things we need to do with the building that we need to take care of. Uh, one of those things was going to be one of the, all six of the air conditioner units, but one of them was tired of waiting. Uh, and so now we are getting that one replaced in the next two to three weeks. So um, thanks to Joey Allen, who was able to rig this. And um, whatever company makes this, we were grateful. And uh, so that's, that's what you're going to hear as it goes along. So I hope it's not distracting and hope it's not such a hum that it will put you to sleep. And which shouldn't because we have Lisa here today. And we are grateful to have uh, Lisa with us. Um, before we do, I want to offer just a quick note. If you have your Bibles, I uh, would like for you to go to Colossians for a moment. You can mark that there, uh, and we will, we will come back to Colossians uh, if we have the time. But I want to offer just a word, because if you are visiting with us, this may be a bit of a surprise, but Lisa Loden is, from, uh, is with us. She's an ecumenical Jewish disciple of Jesus. She's an Israeli a wife, a mother, and a grandmother, uh, and she's spending time in the uh, stateside here for a minute, uh, and we have the privilege of being able to, to listen to her. She's also in the film that Bob and Catherine put together uh, that you can see here called um, uh, Peacemakers Crossing the Divide, uh, telling stories of reconciliation across the Israeli-Palestinian divide. It's a 60-minute documentary film. For visiting with us, I certainly encourage you to, uh, to watch this film. Uh, if you're interested in watching this film, uh, send me an email. My email's on the back of this, and then I will uh, work with Bob and Catherine and make sure that we, we can make that available to you so you can catch the full narrative of, of this story. Um, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12. We'll come back to this. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on. Everybody say, put on. So we've got to put it on. That's active. That's active language. It's like putting on a coat. You've got you to know where your coat is. You've got to put your arms in it. You've got to wear it. You've got to choose. Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And then here we go, verse 14. Above all, above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Love is the bond of unity. Unity happens when love is the commitment. We live in a divided society. We live in a divided world. It's always been that way. Sometimes it's felt more divided than others. Sometimes that feeling of division feels differently. But unity is not something we achieve by working toward it. Unity is something that happens when we work toward love. Unity happens when, above all, we put on love, which is why Paul calls it the perfect bond of unity. Love holds unity together. Love brings unity about. Love makes unity possible 
And love is always, always, always a choice. And love happens when we choose, as followers of Jesus, to put on the other attributes that Paul mentioned. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Uh, when we choose to forgive, when we press in to closer, closer to forgive and love even enemies. What brings people together, what makes life possible, what makes justice happen is when love is done as a way of life in every space of life. And what you're going to hear this morning is a real example of what that looks like, the tensions of what that feels like uh, from a different voice, from a different body, from a different place in our world. What I love about the kingdom of God and what is easy to forget because we all live in our countries and our geopolitical, like our geographical political spaces in the world, is that the kingdom of God is a global community of peoples from all tribes, tongues, nations, and cultures who find our common bond in our humanity as being made in the image of God and who find our common way of seeing the world in our baptismal identity. Our baptisms do not change our cultures. This does not change the color of our skin. It does not change the culture that forms us. It does not change our geopolitical realities. We still have to live in our spaces and our bodies as the world sees and as we are. And that's actually by God's design because God was purposeful with how he made the world. But we have to press in to what it means to see our neighbor as our brother and sister no matter where they are and where they're from. And it's helpful to learn how to do that through art, which is what I love about the film that Bob and Catherine put together. It artfully shows us what this looks like. So I commend the film to you, but I also commend to you our sister, Lisa, who's going to talk with us this morning. Lisa, why don't you come on up here? Amen. Everybody welcome, Lisa. <laughs> Your microphone. Thank you. And here you go. Whoa. The prayer mic. Hello, brothers and sisters. Oh, so if you're visiting with us, we do this from time to time. We have a conversation, and the hope is that your imagination engages us. If you want to engage, uh, Lisa, later, we're going to have uh, Theology Thursday. We're going to meet in person, 630 at WCC. It'll also be Zoomed. We'll do a hybrid, and Lisa will be here for more like question and response type time. Um, but Lisa, first off, thank you for being with us today. It means a lot that you would that you would spend time with us as our sister and become our teacher this morning. Guide us, be a shepherd to us this morning. So I'm grateful for your presence. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, I want to say that it is really a privilege for me to be here together with you. I love it when God's people come together across many divides. It's a passion of my heart that we would live out the unity that we have been given. Ephesians tells us that unity is a gift. It's a gift. And it's a gift we need to open up, and we need to take it out of its box and live together in peace and in harmony wherever we live. I live in Israel for 40-some years, my husband and I immigrated to that country in 1974, uh, longer than probably most of you have been alive, right? <laughs> this is our home. 
and it is a very uncomfortable place most of the time, I have to tell you. It was quite different when we first arrived. Today, we are in the midst of a continuing intractable conflict, and what that means is a conflict to which no one can see an end, and it's more than 70 years in existence. And life is different every day. We never know what to expect. People say, well, what's it like living in Israel? Well, the first thing we say is that it's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. And really, you wake up in the morning and we don't have a government. Right now, we don't have a government. But we've been called to this place, my husband and I. We were already believers in Jesus when we came to the land. We are Jews. And our identity as Jews is a part of who we are, how we live that out, how we express it within the body of Christ. There are many ways. But the most important way, I think, is to recognize that we belong to one another because the community of faith is international, multi-generational, multilingual. Every nation in this world will have the gospel preached to it, and there will be those who belong to the kingdom. So. We settled in that land. We knew probably two people who lived there. We went on one-way tickets. We had uh, no way back. We'd been advised to go first and check it out, and we said, no, we know this is where we're meant to be. I have to rem remind myself pretty often that you know, I have a calling, because if it were up to me, I would have left a long time ago, because it is a painful reality. If you choose to open your eyes and see and look beyond your narrow life. This morning being here, I just really want to say this before we go on. I listened to the words that you sang and joined you. I participated in the readings. And I said, God, what do I have to say to these people? You have it all here before you laid out. And you are confessing the reality of how God wants you to live. All I can do is, in some way, tell you my story. And I don't have a dramatic story to tell you. But I do have the story of what God can do across the divide, across the man-made divides that separate us in our world, here and there. Well, tell us that story. Uh, tell you that story, OK. Well, I've only just realized basically in my life, and I am 75, be 76 this year, that I've always been a radical. I mean, people could have told me that a long time ago. I was, uh, yeah, what can I say? I'm a child of the 60s. Everything you ever read about that, I was there, I did that. I lived in San Francisco. Um, yeah, so that's really my background before coming to faith. All right. My life's dream, however, was to bring together all of the religions of the world, their teachings, their ways of living, and I worked hard at it. I was always with a stack of books, and I haunted the arcane bookstores when New Age was not a term that anybody knew, and I built myself this fantastic, beautiful synthesis and worldview. Very convincing, right? But you know what? The one that did not fit was Jesus. Because if you accept Jesus as who he says he is, and you do not reimagine him as an avatar, as an incarnation of God, as a bodhisattva, whatever, he will not fit into any system. So mm. 
my heart was dislocated from my mind at this time in my life. I had a system, but I didn't have what I knew I wanted, which was that big word, love, for everybody. So my way of coming to faith was through a very simple Christian. My husband came to faith before I did. He also came from that world, but he came from successful career in New York City on, you know, very, very successful, very big person. But he also was seeking and searching, and we both were. From the time I've known myself, and I can remember anything about myself, I wanted what was under the surface. I knew there was more to life than what I could see, and I searched for it diligently, even teaching myself Sanskrit so I could read the Upanishads in the original, okay? That's how serious I was. That's and impressive. I was radical. I mean, I lived as a hermit in the woods for several years. Yeah, you name it, to find the reality of God. And when this simple gentleman who was actually my husband's boss because he left the theater to come live in my cabin in the woods. That's a whole other story, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this man radiated love. He hired hippies. Nobody hired hippies in Washington State, Olympic Peninsula, Forks, Washington, the wettest place in all of North America. Uh, beautiful, beautiful nature. And he loved everybody. And my husband was drawn to this man, drawn to him. And we were the other in that community because I could sit on my hair, was so long, you know. I still like long dresses, right, and skirts, covered with beads and the whole thing we were there. And he invited us to his little church. Not a very big church in a, you know, right-wing redneck neighborhood. What can I say, all those people were like, the opposite of what we were. And when we walked through that door, we felt welcomed. There had been a prayer meeting of women for a year praying for revival. When we walked through that door, we, they knew we were the revival. And we were. <laughs> Many in the hippie community came to faith after that. But that primary experience of being embraced as the other when they should have rejected us because we'd invaded their community, okay? They didn't want us there in the main. That was foundational for our lives. And it is what has held me where I am today and brought me to the place where I will cross every divide. I identify myself as an ecumenical Jewish disciple of Jesus. What does that mean? One of my closest friends is a Jesuit priest. I've been in Orthodox Christian churches in Moscow. I dialogue with, within the Vatican right now with other theologians. I'm an, also an autodidact. I have no formal training or background, but I will cross any divide to express the unity that we have in Christ, despite every difference, despite every bit of doctrine that is secondary, because the primary doctrine and the primary way of life is to love one another. And it is a challenge in my world. It is a challenge. I don't have a dramatic story about reconciliation. All I can say was my eyes were opened from day one that we belong together. 
And in Israel, I began to see immediately the differences in how people live, the discrepancy in how we lived. And we were very small in 1974, probably 300 Jews who believed in Jesus in the whole land. So who believed in Jesus in that land? The Arab Christians, mm. okay? And we were welcomed by them as well. It was a very different time. Times have changed. We found a home with them, and we then began our own congregation, and always our doors were open where everyone was welcome, sharing pulpits. My husband and I founded this congregation where we served for many years. But I could see the difference. I could see that my brothers and sisters were second-class citizens, okay? Deprived of work because of their name, okay? If they had an Arab name and they called for a job interview, they were passed over. That's just one thing. I opened my eyes and I began to educate myself and I began to be passionate for justice because there was such injustice. And I began to go to political meetings to see what I could do. And God spoke to me and he said, this is not my way for you. Mm. So I stopped going to political meetings and within a few months, I was called by an Arab Christian who had just founded a ministry called Musalacha. And if you know one word in Arabic other than salam, which is peace, Musalacha means reconciliation. And he asked me to begin and to found a women's work within this organization, which I did uh, for more than 30 years. And that meant crossing the divide, going into the West Bank when it was closed. We have a checkpoint that is abandoned that we, we know the back way in. If we're stopped by the police, they could arrest us and put us, you know, fine us. If anything happens to us in that area, uh, Israel would not stand be behind us because we're Israeli citizens. I have no fear. I have no fear. I worked in Jerusalem for five years right in the heart of the city where there were two car bombs, a bus explosion, and two mad terrorists right outside my office. I traveled from where I live, which is on the coast. Our shopping mall, two of them have had bombs. I can hear them when they go off. I traveled on public transport. I had no fear because I knew if you're in the center of God's will, you do not need to have fear. And I want to tell you, the first people who would call me would be my Arab brothers and sisters. Mm. How are you? Is your family okay? What about your congregation? This is love in action. This is love reaching out to the other. And I have to say, I do the same. I taught for five years in a theological seminary. All my students were Arab men. Five of them are pastors today. And I can see them. And we live together. We cross the divide. We reach out. We are all created in the image of God. And I can unpack that for you a bit more later. Thank you for that. I think, I think you're given a bit of a picture of some of the cost of what it means to be you in Christ yeah. with Arab brothers and sisters. 
uh, who are in Christ. To kind of move us to reimagining things, because I think the film does a great job telling some of those stories and bringing them together. Sister, what, what do we need to have changed in our minds as people who live in these United States in regards to that conflict, number one, and how Christ is moving through it or should move through it, number two? I'd like to answer that question with a slight change of focus because what needs to happen is in your heart. It's not just in your mind. It's not just getting to know the realities. It's not just seeing it, but it's opening your heart to be moved, to be touched, to be changed, so that when you look at someone, you see not on the surface, you see as God sees, and you see that this person was created in his image, and he loves them unconditionally. It's opening your heart to pain. Mm. It's opening your heart to hear, to hear not just with your ears, oh, that's his story, and well, I mean, I feel so much for him. It's opening your heart to actually identify with the pain of the other. Mm to take it in. Mm. I cry a lot, mm. okay? I cry a lot, and I intercede in prayer. And there are days when I can hardly stop weeping for what I know my brothers and sisters are going through. I've been pretty much sidelined by my own faith community in the Messianic Jewish world, if you will. Um, I've been called an enemy of Israel. I mean, all kinds of interesting things like that. But in God, we have to see under the surface and let our hearts be touched as the heart of Jesus was touched. He saw the woman with an issue of blood. He saw beyond the reality that you see and that I see. And I just want to share one kind of experience that I've had in the last few weeks even. You're aware of what's going on. Your eyes are opened. You've seen the film, most of you. You read the news. And I recommend that you read a wide variety of sources as well mm -hmm. because the news is poisoned. Mm -hmm. The news is not about what's going on. It's about what they leave out, which is why. And there are good sources. I can give you some sources later. But we have had also in the Jewish sector, as much as I identify with my Palestinian brothers and sisters, and I will visit them, and I will go on trips with them, I'll go to the desert, you know, all kinds of things I could tell you. But recently, with the, with the increasing tension and the increasing violence, our streets are raging with violence right now. And for the Palestinians, it's mainly about justice. We want justice. It's a military occupation. Their lives are affected on every level, every day. You cannot imagine what they live with. Mm. On the Israeli side, we live in fear. And we all live in fear. And we're all traumatized in our society. But we've had a number of terrorist attacks in not just Jerusalem, in Tel Aviv, in a city that's 20 kilometers from where I live, in Jerusalem. And some of them have been really, really violent. 
killing people with axes in the streets, okay? Terrorists with guns raging in Tel Aviv, and I know people who are close to that, okay? And the Lord challenged my heart to look at these young men and to see them as my brother. to see them in the image of God and to see God's love for them and to pray for them. Mm. These men who've wounded, these young men, radicalized, pressurized, I don't know their story, but God's story for them is to be brought into the kingdom. Mm. And he uses us he uses us as instruments of his love. And whether it's to visit them in prison, whether it's to, as I do, pray for them and weep for these lost men who take the law in their own hands with their axes and their knives and their guns. They're my brothers. And this is how I'm learning to live love right now. It's a very painful process because the reality is that uh, angry, what do you do with your anger? Be angry and sin not, okay? We need to name the reactions and to also say, yes, Lord, this is horrific, but these men are not beasts. These men are created in your image. The Israeli soldiers, we're in a militarized society the community of Jews who believe in Jesus send all their sons and daughters to the military. And they're encouraged to be in elite units. I know brothers in the faith who were snipers in Gaza. I cannot imagine it. These are my brothers. They come out traumatized. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we look beyond this current reality and we see as God sees. This is applicable in all of, our, all of our relationships. How does God see the terrorist? How does God see the 18-year-old soldier who is frightened, scared unto death himself? I see them as, in my own eyes, as militarized, radicalized, and maybe they are, but what's important is that I can carry them in my heart. I can pray for their families. Mm. What do I do with the police who've become more violent in Jerusalem today? And believe me, there's much more violence. Your country is divided. I've lived there since 1974, and Israel has never been as divided as it is today. But we cross all those divides. I have a good friend who says she'll come up to someone she knows and she'll say, what's your strategy for loving your enemy? Oh. Okay? All right. What's your strategy huh. for loving your enemy? That's good. Do we have one? Mm. Mine is to see him in the image of God, to pray for him, to reach out to his family, to visit the family of someone in the West Bank who've lost a son or a daughter to a random Israeli shooting. My husband has done that, by the way. 
It's to act out in love and to let our hearts be touched even as our eyes are open and we're weeping and we may be raging and we lay it at the altar and we let God work in our hearts. So Lisa, I'm going to ask a question then. Because I, I, I'm naturally wired, like I'm, I'm, I like to say I'm, I'm blues in the life of the mind. So I'm naturally wired toward the, the weight and the despair and the injustice. And it's how I, it's how I personally walk and, and I have to work at times um, to allow the joy of Christ to surface into something more than just the weeping. Um, joy not being happiness, joy being satisfaction. That's the biblical understanding. It's, it's a satisfaction. It's a, it's a state of, of contentedness. Um, you're, you're, we, we live in a society, and even as a pastor who oftentimes encourages lament, I've had people even here say, oh, enough of the lament. Yeah. You know, can we, can we just have some joy? <laughs> How would you answer that in your space? We cannot separate it. Weeping endures for a night. Joy comes in the morning. Mm. And joy has been the hallmark of this trip for me. Mm. I've discovered a new wellspring of joy in my life. And that joy comes from gratitude. Mm. Not at what I don't have, but what he's already placed in my life. Being grateful and sometimes it's, Lord, I just thank you for the air I breathe. Lord, I thank you for the clouds, and I begin to sense this satisfaction, which I am now calling joy, because right. I'm allowing it to continue. Cultivate gratitude in your life, and it will become a foundation and a wellspring that becomes joy, and it will change your whole orientation. It has for me. I started practicing gratitude a number of years ago, and it has changed me internally. I'm melancholy, I'm heavy, I identify with justice, I'm passionate about it. I will speak out, I will cross the lines, but I'm doing it from a place of gratefulness to the Lord That's and right. holding on to that eschatological perspective, yes. not what's happening in Revelation, and this means this and that means that. <laughs> but you sang it today. Right. This is not the end, you are not alone. You are not alone. And being here with you is increasing my joy. Mm. I look at your faces and I say, thank you, God, for my brother sitting in the front row. Thank you, God, for my brother with the beard in the second row. Thank you, God, for my sisters sitting together in the third row. And my heart overwhelms and fills up with joy, with joyfulness. And I know your situation is not easy. Your country is polarized. You have violence in your streets. You have horrific things going on. And you must lament it in prayer, it. knowing that God hears your prayers. That's it. You do not want to become an angry activist. That's okay? right. And it's a temptation. It really is. And that's why the heart is as involved as the mind. Continue educating yourself. There are days when I can only just read the headlines. And I just say, enough. How long? And I do. How long, oh Lord? How long? And we're told how long. And we live in that reality as we live in this reality at the same time. 
Does that answer your question? It does, and I, and I appreciate that because what, what Christians have to understand is, what we have to understand is that gratitude actually flows out of lament. Yeah. Gratitude is found when we enter into the pit of despair in a, yeah. in a solidarity with the other, yeah. where we discover the goodness of God even in the midst of the brokenness, and we discover that, yes, the night will pass and the morning shall come. Yeah. And I think in our church we've learned to lament. We've, we've, I've tried to tell people... Um, and if Garrett were up here with us, he would, he would say this. Uh, our church grew in the fires of suffering. Yeah. Our church didn't grow because of good preaching. I know that for sure. Um, our church didn't grow because of good music. Our church didn't grow because of great air conditioner units um, and facility. Our church grew um, because we grew in the fires of suffering and entering into the lives of the margins of our own neighbors and the things that happened even here. And out of that, practice of uh, came lament and out of that practice of lament came a rediscovery of joy a depth of our faith but I think we have to learn lament I think lament lament is natural I think for some of us yeah Um, Yeah. lament is avoided for others of us and in the biblical tradition especially in the prophetic tradition lament is lament is critical for the formation of God's people so Lisa why don't you I know you have something teach us lament Offer us, offer us a way forward in the gift of lament that we might find yeah. ourselves yeah. in the presence of God and in the presence of the other. I will read a lament that I put together for a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago called Christ at the Checkpoint. And it's... Uh, Palestinians in Bethlehem, and their last message of the conference was a message on lament, and I put this thing together for them to lament in many voices for the situation in our country. I don't just lament for what's going on in the Palestinian sector. I lament for the spiritual, moral bankruptcy of my people Israel, for the loss of Jewish ethics for the wandering away from the reality of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is the God of our people to this day. He loves everyone. So I put this together. I only want to add that gratitude is one of the fruits of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And you nourish fruit to grow, for it to grow. You water fruit trees. You prepare the soil. And yes, it grows out of the ground of lament, but it also grows out of a practice that you can choose every day of your life. Okay? Yes. Laments in many voices, the seething, churning body, spirit, soul, all together weep and rage. The stretched thread of prayer weaves in and out, in and out, through tangled skeins of tears, the tumult, the weeping, and the rage. O Lord, hear our prayer. Our hearts weep through days and nights in this much-loved land at war with itself. 
our peoples, each snared by narratives of suffering, refusing the reality of another's ancient claims, denying our brotherhood. Who can endure the pain of all that's lost, that cannot be found, that's broken beyond repair? You alone, O Lord, see beyond the desolations, hear the cry of all who grieve. Lord, have mercy. O Gaza, your voice rises, a deadly silence louder than the roaring plains, louder than the falling bombs, louder than the implosion of your once safe towers. Your children's laughter, songs and tears forever silenced, their innocent flesh dismembered in the dust that remains. Lord, have mercy. Wounded multitudes rage, aggression excused, death dismissed as collateral damaged. Terrified they rage, empowered by fear born of blindness, the all too evident signs unseen. Lord, have mercy. O oh, privileged society living now the self-earned price grown from squandered decades of discrimination, our lives built on ruins of others' lives and labors. We deny our culpability as we callously indict our victims. Lord, have mercy. Our self-built security, a compromised mantle to cloak aggression, we traverse the beautiful land in the sickly greens of occupation. Our state-of-the-art weapons gifted by other nations, peoples whose snarled interests give one people precedence in this multi-peopled land. Lord, have mercy. Too many voices, too many cries in the dark. The wail of the mother seeking her child as sirens sound and rockets light the skies. We cry for peace, for recognition of our existence, our brotherhood extinguished in this segregated land. We cry for peace for our fallen sons and daughters, for yet another generation that now knows war. Terror stalks our streets. Fear gives birth to rage, rises in destruction, and violence breeds, replicating its image. O oh Lord, have mercy. How long will midnight soldiers, armored invaders, rip children from their beds, eject families roused from sleep, justified by divine right. They come with guns to intimidate, bulldozers to evict innocence into the shrinking landscape. How long will a powerful pillage, how long will being Palestinian continue to be enough to deprive you of your land for living to erase your existence? Generations that built, planted, harvested, raised children in this place. O oh Lord, have mercy. How long will the powerful dominate? How long will being Jewish continue to be enough to grant you privilege of land for your living, empower you to justify your possession from the Jordan to the sea, the millennia-old new land of numberless nations and a kingdom yet to come? O oh Lord, have mercy. Lord of all, how long can you bear this burden, your sons and daughters bereft of dignity, stripped of the rights to remain in the lands of their birth? Lord of life, how long can you bear this burden? Watch your sons and daughters divinely entitled 
consume their brothers and your land. O oh Lord, have mercy on us all. Will Gaza live tomorrow? Will Palestine rise again from her ruins? Will Israel have finally fulfilled her long dream of dominance? Are these the death throes of gasping peoples? How long before you, O oh Lord of all, say enough? Enough of violence, aggression, pride, the desecration of your sons and daughters. Will the divided land remain until your kingdom comes? How long will your judgment be withheld? When will your justice roll down like waters, burst from the dams of constraint? When, O oh Lord, will your cup be full? O oh Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you for that. That is a powerful word. We just witnessed a psalm. Yeah. We just heard a psalm. We just felt a psalm. Thank you for sharing with us a psalm of complaint, yeah. a psalm of lament, yeah. yet a psalm of hope. Every word in this psalm is true. It's based on reality. Every image are the images I see. Lisa, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your courage. Thank you. Thank you for your witness. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for teaching us. And thank you for being here and uh, joining us in the presence of God together. I am not alone. You are not alone. You are here. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, sister. Can we, can we pray over you? I, mean, I shouldn't even have to ask that. I know I'm not even, but you know, we want to pray over you. So Lisa, would you come back to, to me? Bob, our, Bob's back there. Catherine, would you come? Um, do I have any shepherds here? Have a couple of shepherds here and um, come. And then um, church, I'm going to ask for you all to stand, please. We're going to pray over our sister, pray for our Palestinian and Israeli brothers and sisters, and pray for the words of that lament to capture our own hearts and capture the hearts of all who hear it. Let's pray. Lord, we have prayed. Lisa, let us in prayer. You have heard her words, you have heard the cries of her heart that resonate with the cries of many. And we know that we can come to you because you are there. We can turn to you only because you are present. And that gives us hope. That gives our lament a resting place. That allows the night, the dark nights of our souls and the laments that accompany them to turn into joy where dancing becomes possible again. It is a time where we find in you hope, where we find in you a faithful love that endures forever, that is capable of reaching even us. 
where we find our call to remembrance that no one is beyond the reach of your grace and beyond the power of your redemptive spirit at work in this world. So to you, O God, who names the stars and holds them in place, who tells the sun when to rise and when to set, the waters how far they can go, to you, O God, who holds the world in your hands, the one who holds it all together through the Christ, we commend our sister to you in your gracious love and faithful care that the prophetic voice that wells up from within her, that pours out of her, will bear fruit, will be water in a thirsty and dry land, will bring an abundance of hope and assurance of your work in the world that will make possible peace where there is injustice and chaos. We commend to you, her and David, and their ministry to you. We commend to you our brothers and sisters, our Arab Christian brothers and sisters, our Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. We commend to you your own church in those places that they would be a faithful witness of love and a faithful witness of justice, a faithful witness of your shalom in that place. Father, we commend to you our own hearts that we would be humble and that in that humility we would find hope and in that hope we would find the courage to lament and in that courage to lament we would find the gratitude that we are never alone and in that gratitude of the reality that we are never alone that we would find joy that our hearts and souls would be satisfied that our grasping would cease that our voices would speak truth and that our hands and feet would bear witness to love in this place, in this nation, and in this world. So we commend our lives to you, the God who knows us best and loves us most, who commended your own life to us through the Christ who has come, who was crucified on a tree, raised from the grave, and ascended as the Lord of heaven and earth and the cosmos itself. We commend our lives to you, our God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.